You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. Are you ready for the word this morning? Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with some of his servants. When he began to settle, one who brought him 10,000 talents. And they said he could not pay. His master ordered him to be sold, his wife and his children, and all that he had until payment was made. The servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. Verse 27. Out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him, look at this, and forgave him from the debt. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him only a hundred denarii. Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe me. Verse 29. His fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Verse 30, he refused and he went and put him in prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow servants heard what had taken place, they were in great distress. They went and reported to the master of what had taken place. The master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you of all of that debt because you pleaded with me. You have, you should not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. In his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Came to tell you this morning, forgiveness is easy in the presence title of this message this morning is forgiveness is easy let's pray so lord we thank you for your spirit that's here today the holy spirit we say you're welcome here we say have your way holy spirit we don't just make room for you but we give you the room lord we thank you for your word i declare your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path lord i declare your word is true in every man's liar lord we declare that your word right now is coming alive. I pray that your spirit would breathe upon that logo, that written word. And I pray, pray it'd become rhema to us today. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to understand what your spirit is saying. Father, I thank you that nobody came to hear me. We all came to hear you. So we say, speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. And all, and all God's people said, amen. amen. And amen. Well, we are in a series called Easy that hard things become easy in the presence of God. Matthew says, what Jesus said in the book of Matthew, he said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And what we're doing is we're breaking this spiritual disposition that life has to be hard, ministry has to be hard, spirituality has to be hard, when Jesus said it's actually easy because I did the hard things for you. Just a little quick awareness, if you find yourself in life feeling like you're hitting a wall and you're trying to accomplish something and it seems incredibly hard, I would encourage you to step back and ask the Lord, how does this become easy in your presence? If you want to learn more about this message and this topic, you can watch uh, the Church in the City sermon on easy in his presence on our YouTube and podcast. This morning is a very important Sunday. In fact, it's, it's a continuation of part two of last week. 
How many experienced some degree of deliverance last week and you say, I was touched by the presence of God, I was delivered? Just wave your hand. If you were delivered of something over this last week, it's beautiful. I've heard so many stories and testimonies this week about how people encountered the presence of God and experienced deliverance. Well, this is part two of deliverance. This is how you stay free. This is how you grow in deliverance. This is how you continuously encounter God. So last week there was this beautiful heart posture that our congregation had. And I'm asking you to keep that heart posture this morning because this morning we're going in deep. How many want to spiritually grow? Let me see your hands. Come on, how many are passionate about growing spiritually? Of course you are. That's why you're at Mercy Culture Church. And so I want you to turn to your neighbor and just tell him, say, brace yourself. We're going there today. I asked the Lord specifically, what hard things do you want me to address in this series? He told me to address healing. He told me to address obedience and giving. He told me to address deliverance and he told me to address forgiveness. See, forgiveness could be one of the hardest things in the world to do. In fact, I've been in ministry for over 20 years and I have lost track of how many times I have heard born again Christians say to me, I cannot forgive them for that. And then you read scriptures like I just read where you see the importance of forgiveness. I'd even say the severity of forgiveness. But why is forgiveness so hard? When someone has Betrayed, when someone has lied, when someone has abandoned, when someone has done evil or wicked to you, either accidentally or intentionally, it could be one of the hardest things in the world to do. Even as someone that loves God and as a Christ follower is to forgive. But it's a good thing that the hardest things in life become easy in the presence of God. Would you tell three people it's easy in his presence? Church, I came to tell you today, if you want to grow spiritually, that's enough. That took you like 10 seconds to do. I just needed a time to transition. If you want to grow spiritually, you're going to have to grow in forgiveness. Because where you stop forgiving, you stop spiritually growing. In fact, we have a, a value or we have a, a culture here at Mercy Culture and we have leadership standards of how we raise up leaders. In fact, one of our leadership standards is forgiveness. And we say it like this, it's not optional. And the reason why it's not optional is because I can't trust you to leave if I can't trust you to forgive. How are you gonna lead someone spiritually when you can't lead yourself by forgiving? Some of you can't figure out why you haven't spiritually grown in years. But today you're going to figure it out because you stopped forgiving years ago. And so that's why you've never broke through new spiritual barriers. That's why you're not walking in new spiritual authority. That's why you find yourself needing to be delivered from the same thing year after year is because you've stopped at a certain point. But today is a day of expanding territory. We're in the year of expanding territory. It's a First Chronicles 4.10 year. This is a year where we are going to take spiritual territory and you're going to take it today through forgiveness. So why is forgiveness so hard? It's usually because they don't deserve it. 
Why is forgiveness so hard? Because we want to see justice. This is a church full of justice-driven people. Some of you want to see blood, not Jesus' blood. You want to see other blood. You want to see retribution. You want to see the crooked made straight. You want to see wrongs being made right. And so when, when you have this justice in you, it can be so difficult when you have seen or experienced injustice and nothing has been done about it. Let's see if the presence of God will make this easy. Forgiveness is mentioned over 200 times, well over 200 times in the word of God. That word forgiveness is the word afiame, which means to send away, to leave alone, to permit. It's broken up from two different words that literally mean away from or send. To send away, to release, or to discharge. I like to define forgiveness simply as letting go. And what it's letting go, it's letting go of great debt. Matthew 6 is the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is teaching us how to pray. In the middle of the Lord's Prayer, as he's teaching us how to pray, he says this. This is Jesus. It's written in red. He said, forgive us of our debts, our trespasses, or our sins, as we also forgive our debtors. When Jesus is talking about sin, he uses the word debt. Now, why does the Bible relate debt to sin? because they have an, a, a similar feeling. Jesus is using this metaphorically. It's not that we owe Jesus money, but what he's saying is money carries weight. How many have felt financial pressure or weight in your life? How many felt the pressure of bills? How many have uh, felt the pressure of debt? Any students in this place? How, how, how many have felt that financial pressure? We all have felt that because you feel the responsibility of what you owe. Sin is the same way, but you don't call it debt, you call it shame. Where you feel the weight of the wrong that you've done in life. You feel the weight of your mistakes. You feel the weight of the sin of your life. In fact, Paul says it like this in Romans. He says the wages, there it is a debt again, the wages of sin is death. See, your soul feels the weight of your spiritual debt. This is what sin does. This is what it feels like. The Bible reflects our wages, our debt to that same thing that we need to forgive. So it's important that you understand this because some of us grew up thinking that we just live in this spiritual karma realm. And then if you do more good than you do bad, you'll be a good person and maybe you'll make it to heaven. But the truth is, is good people go to hell. Doing good deeds is not your access to heaven. The blood of Jesus is your access. In fact, the Bible goes even further to say your righteousness or your good deeds are as useless as filthy rags. What the Bible is saying is this, is on your best day, you're not nearly as good enough. And all of the good deeds, listen, you're not living in like a spiritual Christmas story where if you could just turn into Scrooge, uh, you know, uh, soon enough and do start doing good things and give Tiny Tim some, some turkey, then everything's going to be good with your soul. It's not, it's not working like that. 
You actually cannot do enough good to outweigh the bad. That's why God created mercy. Because mercy is undeserved kindness. What the Bible is saying is this, is it's impossible for you to do enough good to outweigh or to cover your sin. So Jesus became sin so that he could exchange your righteousness, watch, your evil, your sin for his goodness. That's how good God is that he traded places with us. Hebrews 8, 12 says this, he will be merciful to us for their iniquities or sin and he will remember their sin no more. We sang about that today, didn't we? I don't even know how this works. God's so good, he just does it or he chooses not to remember your sin. So when he forgives you, Scripture says he throws it in the sea of forgetfulness and he remembers it no more. That's how powerful his mercy is. So where there's forgiveness, there's mercy. This morning I wanted to take time to help you understand forgiveness. There's a tool in investigating where they say the the five W's, the who, what, when, where, and why to help you understand something. So I want to use this formula to help us investigate or understand forgiveness. So the first thing we'll ask today is, who needs forgiveness? And the answer is, everyone. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All in the Greek means all. Every one of us. Turn to three people and just say, you're a sinner. We know it. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. All have sin. Even, I'm telling you, even Granny. <laughs> Just because she's a little slower than she used to be, you should have seen her on the dance floor back in the 50s. All have sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Who needs forgiveness? Someone say everyone. Amen. Colossians 3.13. I want you to look at God's word today. I'm reading the NLT. It says, make allowances for each other. And forgive anyone. Who do you have to forgive? Anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. Look at this. You must forgive others. Who needs forgiveness? Everyone. And who do we have to forgive? Everyone. Next one. What needs to be forgiven? There's two things. Sin and people. Sin means this, it means fundamentally missing the mark. It's a violation of God's standards. Not a church standards, not a religious person's standards, God's standards. How many have seen how dysfunctional our nation is right now? Where babies aren't human and aren't valuable, but men can pretend they're women. They could wear women's uniforms and play in women's sports. It's insane. And if you say it's insane, they'll say you're a hateful, ignorant, bigot, and throw an adjective on there. Where I like to say, you just have common sense. Hold on a second. And the reason why our nation is so weak is because the church is so weak. The reason why the church is so weak is because pastors are so so weak. The reason why pastors are so weak is because the church abuses them so bad. 
I didn't hear so many amens on that one. So you have this broken, dysfunctional thing where you have weakness. And so what happens is, is pastors have been afraid to talk about sin. Oh, because if you talk about sin, people might not come. I'd rather have them come to my church and go to hell than tell them the truth. See, you've been manipulated to think the truth isn't loving. And you think your lies are loving? You think you just let people go to hell, live in sin, stay in brokenness? You think that's loving? Now, you could be truthful and you could be kind at the same time. Watch Jesus. He did it all the time. He met a woman. He loved her. She showed her grace and mercy. But then he said, hey, go and sin no more. See, we've stopped talking about sin so that you can be comfortable in your sin. I can be comfortable in my sin. And we can all march hand in hand to hell together. But why? We've abandoned God's word. Do you know that you cannot respond to the attacks of the enemy? It is written when you don't know what is written. We've abandoned God's word and we have stopped calling good evil, evil good, right, right, wrong, wrong. We've lost clarity in America because we've lost a clarity from the pulpit because we've lost clarity in God's word. Do you know it doesn't matter what the United States codifies that marriage is between one man who's born a man, one woman who's born a woman? That's what marriage is. And it doesn't matter what people vote in the law because what's legal in America does not mean it's lawful in the kingdom. You know why 10% of the room is clapping? Because we don't know God's word. So we're like, I'm uncomfortable. I don't know what to do here. Is this okay? No, it's not okay. We're not in a good place. Because it's awkward to say these things in church because we've abandoned the truth of God's word. We've embraced sin to be normal. And scripture warns us that the wages of sin is death. So watch, Adam and Eve sin originally in the garden. Genesis chapter three, because they sin, God kills an animal and he covers their nakedness or he covers their shame. Then it goes into Leviticus and it teaches us that the people had to come before the priests and they would give animals and sacrifices to the priests and the priests would then sacrifice animals on behalf of us. But there was a problem, we sin too much. So they were running out of animals. This is where PETA got started, right here. There wasn't enough sacrifices, it was too much. So according to scripture, there had to be an ultimate sacrifice. Hebrews 10, 11 says this, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice. Look at, that never can take away sins, verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down right at the hand of God. Jesus Christ became our ultimate sacrifice for sin. So what needs to be forgiven? Sin and people. Matthew 6, 12, go back to the Lord's Prayer. It says, forgive us of our debts. Look at this, as we also forgive our debtors. So two things are mentioned in the Bible that we forgive. Sin, that need forgiveness. Sin and people. I'm going to come back to this. Where do I forgive? You forgive in your daily encounter. 
Mark eleven twenty five. look at this. It says, whenever you stand praying, forgive. And unlike the mask and COVID, they work when you sit down and stand. You can pray sitting down and standing up. Anyone else get kicked out of a restaurant or coffee shop? Like, I, 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 if I sit down, the mask works. It doesn't? I don't get, understand. Anyway. The Lord's delivering me. He's delivering me from all those places I was forcibly removed from. This is important. We forgive in our daily encounters in prayer. You should not encounter God on a daily basis and not search your heart for what needs to be forgiven in your life and then also forgive. This is, this is why people have such a hard time with this because you, 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 you forgive like you go to the dentist twice a year. Where you just let everything build up and then the dentist will get it. Turn your ear and say, that's disgusting. Your forgiveness should be every day. And when you forgive every day, watch, things don't build up. There was one thing that happened to me in my life. It was, it was the greatest pain, betrayal I've ever experienced. And it took me seven years to forgive. Because there's, there's this misconception that you forgive once and you have forgiven. You know the person like, you're like, hey, you should forgive. They're like, I've already forgiven them. You're like, I can tell. If that's your response, then, then it, it didn't work yet. Listen, forgiveness is not a one-time thing. It's not like you get baptized in the Holy Ghost one time. You're like, I, I spoke in tongue once. Good, we did that. Check that off the spiritual list. No, no, no. This, this, this is a daily thing. There was one thing that happened to me that was so painful Seven years, every day, taking into my daily encounter. And I would reach in. I'd reach into my heart and I'd, I would grab that person. Every day, I, I, I kind of envision it almost like, uh, you know, kangaroos have their little pouches that the babies are in there. Or, or maybe some of you Gen Zers, you know, you have those fanny packs. Back when we had fanny packs growing up, it was like utility belts on the waist. Like we only put it on when we we're going to Disney for the week. You know what I mean? Like it had everything you could possibly need. You guys wear it for style. We wore it to survive. And you don't even wear it around your waist. You just strap them over your shoulders. It's okay. It's like reaching in. I don't know if you've ever reached in your pocket to grab your wallet or your phone and you expected it to be there, but it wasn't there and you were looking for it. One day I was on the trail and it was seven years of daily forgiving this person and I reached in to grab it and, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't find it. It was just gone. After seven years, every day pulling it out, it was there every day for seven years and then it wasn't there. And then a year later they did something that I had to go back and forgive again. There it was again. It's amazing. It's back. It's back. And then you start the process all over again. Forgiveness is not a one-time thing. You forgive daily. Someone say daily. Let me give you some practical advice. Ask the Holy Spirit who you need to forgive in your daily encounter. Ask him, who do you need to forgive? Because here's the thing. You can lie to yourself. You can lie to yourself. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can trust it? There'll be things that you hide from yourself. So when you ask the Holy Spirit, would you reveal to me what I need to forgive? Guess what? You can't lie to him.
He will show you the things that you have hidden. It might be a good thing for you to just whisper to the Holy Spirit right now, show me who I need to forgive. Matthew 18, 21, look at this. And Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often do I need to forgive my brother when he sins against me? I love this. As many as seven times? I wonder if he thought this through with John. Be like, listen, there's that one day, all day you bothered me. <laughs> I figured I could do six, maybe seven. Now, hey, Jesus, is seven enough? And he responds and said, not seven, 70 times seven. Another translation said 77. Just, I want you to think about this for a second. Forgiving like that is not rational. Come on, just think about the, the, the dumb things that we say in our Christianity. We're like, uh, if they wrong me once, shame on them. If they do it twice, shame on me. That's not scripture. That's spiritual witchcraft. I don't know what you're talking about. And then you're like, amen, brother. Yeah, let's do a Bible study around it. There's no studying. It's wrong. Peter was legitimately asking, hey, what's the limit here till forgiveness runs out? Jesus said 77 times in a day. This is insane. This doesn't make sense. Why does it not make sense? Because it's spiritual. See, the only way that this would make sense is if you did not remember what they did every time they did it so that when you forgave, you actually released the debt. Are you following me? But some of you are having a hard time processing right now because you're like, well, what happens if they're dangerous? Well, you don't let dangerous people hurt and continue to abuse you. So let me give you some practical advice. You can forgive and still have healthy boundaries. It's kind of like, does anyone got a toddler? And has anyone ever given your toddler the phone? And has anyone ever had their toddler break your phone? And then that was the last time a toddler was allowed to have the phone because you can't trust that violent two-year-old with the spirit of rebellion that came on them and they threw it for no reason. Listen, you can't trust them. So I can't give you this $500 phone because you're not trustworthy. Well, some of you cannot give that amount of time to a person who's not trustworthy. Listen, it doesn't mean you're not forgiving. It doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. But you can have healthy boundaries. Could someone say amen? amen? Who, or excuse me, why do I need to forgive? I got a lot for this one. The greatest answer is because we love God. That's why. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you obey my commandments. So how much do you love God? I love God more than I'm hurting from what you did to me. I love God more than I am willing to hold on to what, how you've wronged me. I choose my relationship with God in obeying him over my hurt, pain, and rejection. I forgive because God told me to. Colossians 3.13, I already read it to you. It says this, so you also must forgive. You must forgive. When the Bible says you must, it means it's not optional. That's why it's the culture of our house. 
It is not an option. You know why we forgive? Because forgiveness pleases the Lord. Do you know you are never more like Jesus than when you're forgiving? I've heard a lot of preachers say things like this. But the truth is, is when you're forgiving, you most reflect the image of God. Forgiveness is not optional for spiritual growth. That's why it's a culture, part of the culture of Mercy Culture Church. Because when you stop forgiving, listen church, you stop spiritually growing. It's interesting because when I run into people who operate in the Jezebel spirit, they don't like forgiving. Because unforgiveness is demonic. I'm going to say this again. Unforgiveness is demonic. So if you allow unforgiveness, if you harbor unforgiveness, you have a door open to the demonic in your life. Matthew 6, 14 says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others when they sin against you, then your father will not forgive you of your sins. Leave this scripture up for a moment. I want you to read this. Look at your notes, look on your phone, look in your Bible. If you do not forgive, your heavenly father will not forgive you. Theologians argue about this text. Some believe it's a salvation issue where you won't be saved. But all theologians primarily agree this is a relational issue. Unforgiveness, this, I, want, I want you to hear this. This is so important you hear this today. Damages your relationship with God. Unforgiveness affects your intimacy with God. This is why people haven't spiritually grown. This is why they've been at the same place for years. Because your intimacy with, the, with God is damaged by your inability to forgive. And a lot, a lot of people don't look at it like this. You didn't realize because the enemy has tricked you into not forgiving. So he keeps you bound. He keeps you in insecurity. He keeps you in shame. He keeps you in that place of lacking of growth spiritually. And that's how you stay there. He doesn't even have to mess with you a lot because your unforgiveness will keep you there. Unforgiveness, this is so important you hear this, hinders your spiritual growth. And it messes with your ability to be intimate with God. So it's very simple. I forgive people because I love God. That's why. My love for God is greater than my hurt from people. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're about to go deep. Now, I didn't want to just tackle the loose stuff because there's some things you're like, would you forgive me? You're like, sure, I could get over that because it didn't cut that deep. But there are some things that cut deep. And I asked the Lord this week when I was preparing this message, and I said, what are the things that you want to deal with in the hearts of our congregation? Just like last week with the spirit of deliverance, the th three things he wanted to deliver our congregation from. I believe that there are three things he wants to deal in this congregation specifically that he wants to bring healing and forgiveness to. The first thing that God put on my heart was what I'm calling a racial divide. Now, before I begin to minister on this, I wanna share a heart posture. Heather and I have this agreement where we don't work on our marriage when we're in a fight. We try not to kill each other. We try not to damage our relationship when we're in a fight. We work on our marriage in good times. 
We, we, we work on our marriage in romantic dates. We work on our marriage when we're having a great time together. And that's how we're able to take ground or take territory. So there's no election this week. There's the news haven't been prompting some sort of national event to rile people up. And so I want to take this moment, this opportunity, while things are going good in this community, to share my heart with you. And so before we get in, I want to let you know the reason why I'm engaging this now is so that we can build relationship. Turn to your neighbor and say, let's go. So the reason why racial divide is so hurtful is because racism is real. It's real today and it was real in God's day. It was, it was real in the Bible. You saw racism all throughout scripture. In fact, there's one instance, I believe it's John chapter four, where Jesus met a woman at the well and he goes there to minister, but she can't get over that he's a Jew. And she said, how are you even talking to me? I'm a Samaritan woman. Remember the story of the, the good Samaritan? See, this was another man who helped another man, a Jew that didn't look like him. So this is where there was di, di, uh, racial divide in the city and Jews didn't even talk to Samaritans. They didn't associate to, with Samaritans. They didn't go to church with Samaritans. They had no interaction. There was a racial divide. We see this in God's word and we see this in our nation. I prayed all week about how I was supposed to engage in this. And I really felt that I was supposed to engage in spiritual warfare into this racial divide the same way that Jesus cast out demons. And if you study how Jesus cast out demons, he would rebuke them. Do you know the translation of the word rebuke, what it means? It means to honor where you actually engage in spiritual warfare by honoring one another. And so I wanted to honor the black community that's within Mercy Culture Church. I wanted to honor every single one of you that has lost friends, that has lost family, that has risked losing your culture to go to a white guy's church. Not everybody knows the risks that it takes. Not everybody knows what you have to push back culturally. So I wanted to say it's an honor to be your pastor. It's an honor to be in this fight with you. And the same way that you have had to risk things to push past and go to a multicultural church, the rest of this church is willing to respond and fight and also at the same time from the other side for unity. You're clapping, but I hear the sound of rain and revival. Mm. 
Do you know why you're willing to risk relationships? Because you want the presence of God and you will go to a place where there's a presence of God more than there's someone that maybe looks like you everywhere or the culture that you're familiar with. But you would say, I want the presence of God more than anything else. That's what draws white people and black people and brown people and men and women. That's why there's children at this altar, every single service with adults. That's why old people and young people gather together because this desire to be in the presence of God. Are you aware that the false prophets of the media do not want multicultural churches? They want us divided. Because if you're divided, you're controlled. I want to share my heart with you right now. We can never again allow a cancel culture that basically says, I won't forgive. Or the divisions that come through manipulative politicians or the puppet masters of the world to come and divide a unified church. No, no, watch this, watch this. You got to make the decision now. No, 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 no. You got to make it now. Before there's another police brutality on the news. No, 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 you make it now. You make covenant before something happens because here's what's gonna happen as you get closer to elections, as you get closer to other political events, all of a sudden there'll be an agitation. There will be a stirring up, watch, watch. And if those moments cause us to lose relationship, it means we did not forgive from the racial divide. It's like the people that pretend they're submitted until their will is tested and then we realize they were never submitted in the first place. You don't promise to be faithful after marriage. You promise before you get married. No, there's got to be a commitment. There's got to be a commitment that we're all in. But there's a few white people in the room like, why are you talking to black people? Listen, when you have a family, whoever's hurting, you give attention to and the whole family turns and makes sure that family member is okay. And if you're hurting, we'll turn our attention towards you. And if your family's hurting, we'll turn your attention towards you. Listen, this church has got to go to the next level. No, no, no. It, I, I, some guy in this church, this morning, the first service, he's like, Pastor Land, this is the most racially diverse church I've ever seen. It's not good enough. That's not the goal. You know, when we were planting the church, guys would come up to you like, what's your racial diverse, diversity plan? I'm like, presence. <laughs> well, how'd you get a Guatemalan elder and an African-American woman worship leader? <laughs> we love God and love the presence. Well, what do you do to build relational equity? We worship together. And what else? Well, we pray together too. And what else? We forgive together. Okay, hold on, hold on. Why your heart is soft, let it sink deep now. Let it sink deep. Because it's coming. Oh. 
Have you ever heard it when they say to the term to newlyweds, they're still on their honeymoon? What do they mean? They mean hard times are coming. Okay. We have got to stay in a honeymoon stage where our first love fire for the Lord doesn't go out. And because our first love fire doesn't go out for God, it doesn't go out for each other. I'm telling you, I'm prophetically warning you, there's demonic, strategic attacks of the enemy. I feel the prophetic on me right now. And this church will not be shaken because we are going to forgive. We're going to love. We're going to war. We're going to fight. I just had a vision right now. I feel the Holy Ghost. I came in here last night at nine o'clock and I laid right there at the altar. And I, as I was laying at the altar, the Lord reminded me of the prophetic word released in January of expanding territory. I went back and listened to it at this altar. At this altar, I said that there was going to be healing from racial sorrows. And there was a prophetic word that some of you would be like Joseph that would bring a new culture of a different kingdom back to your family and deliver them out of spiritual famines. As I was walking right over here, I saw a vision of some of you African-Americans and people were asking you, how did your church survive this? How did they handle it? How are you guys in unity with it? And I saw you bringing a kingdom culture back into other churches and other families in other communities. I saw this going from here and I saw it expanding territory. <laughs> Hear this prophetic warning. It will not happen unless you're committed to forgiving. Sit down, sit down. <laughs> there's no one I love on the planet more than my wife, and there's no one I have hated on the planet more than her. <laughs> no, no, watch, 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 watch. You know it's true. Spouses look at each other just out of the corner of your eye. Corner of your eye, just not, not double locked, just corner. <laughs> How can you love someone violently and still can't stand their stinking guts at times. Don't worry, we'll get to, we'll get to relationships in February. Now watch, watch. The greatest of love could weather the greatest of storms. I felt like you needed to begin to bring these racial divides into your daily encounters. Now, I'm not talking to any color in the room. I'm talking to the room. Start bringing this into your daily encounter. Because I think God's going to do something supernatural through this house. But it will only come through a unified house. Number two, hard thing the Lord told me he was going to deal with and help us to forgive is betrayal. Betrayal cuts deep because it's always an inside job. Betrayal can actually only happen to someone who's close to you. And that's why it's the worst because you did not expect it coming from them. Some of you have been betrayed by friends, by family, by church members. You've experienced the damage that comes from betrayal. 
Betrayal destroys trust. It rejects intimacy once had. And it damaged confidence moving forward. And some people have experienced such great betrayal that they haven't been able to forgive, to let go, and to continue to spiritually grow because of the betrayal that you've encountered. And I want to let you know, Jesus knows how you feel. Let me show you in his word. John chapter 13, I'm going to jump around, beginning in verse 12. It says, and Jesus washed their feet. This is his disciples. He put on his garments and resumed in his place. He said, do you understand what I've just done? Verse 21 says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain from when he spoke. Jesus answered, it was to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped. So he dipped the morsel and gave it to Judas. Verse 27. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now I know I'm not Jesus. Because there's no way if I knew he was going to betray me, would he be eating that supper with me before he betrayed me? I'd let Judas know, you're not going to be in the table picture that everybody's going to have. The betrayer doesn't get to be in it. I'm not comping your meal. You don't get my bread in the water. It's not even that luxurious, but you don't get bread and water from me. Not only does he dine with him, watch this, he washes his feet. He's God, he knows. He prophesies in the moment. Watch, he's washing Judas's feet right before Satan enters him and he goes to betray him. That's how powerful Jesus was. He had the ability to not only love his betrayer, but to wash his feet as he was in the process of betraying. Years ago, I worked for a very unhealthy church. In fact, I'd call it a toxic church. I wasn't thankful for it at the time, but I'm thankful for it now because it's helped me steward a healthy church. And I was a young minister, and it was a spiritually toxic, abusive environment. And I held my breath as long as I could, and it got to a place I couldn't hold my breath any longer. I couldn't handle it anymore. And then I had a dream. It was the second most vivid dream I've ever had. I'm not a dreamer. But in the dream, there was this intense altercation. And then I ran up and I whispered in the senior pastor's ear and I told him about the altercation. And then in the dream, he pulls away from me. And when he pulls away from me, he goes and he leans his head back. And when he leaned his head back in the dream, he was leaning into a six foot five warrior woman wearing armor. And the moment I woke up, I heard an audible voice out loud. It said, Jezebel. I went to Heather and I said, babe, I think I need to go tell the pastor the dream. She's like, are you sure? I was like, and the Lord told me to wash his feet. She's like, Landon, are you sure? That's weird. I was like, I know it's weird, but we have to obey. So I go in the prayer room before our meeting. And I lay on my face. I put my nose in the carpet. It's a great place to be. And I said, Lord, I'm probably going to get fired if I do this. Are you sure I should do this? 
And the Holy Spirit said, go, I've gone before you. So I get up with confidence and I, I go meet with the pastor and I tell him my dream. I said, pastor, I believe that Jezebel spirit's attacking our church. He said, I've seen it. I'm aware of it. Let's work through this. Let's fight together. I'm like, awesome. It's like, pastor, the Lord told me to wash your feet. May I? He said, yes, I wash his feet. We pray together. It's amazing. And then I leave and I'm fired. I had 48 hours to get all my belongings off the church property before we filmed with Lou Engel that Friday. We got done filming. I'm sitting on my couch on a Monday. It's the most depressed I've ever been. I feel like the worst leader. I got a six month old baby. Like how did I lead my family into this situation? I'm on my couch watching the news. So discouraged. And I hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit. And he said, Foot washing is preparation for betrayal. That week, my phone begins to ring. Would you come preach here? Would you come preach here? Would you come preach here? I started traveling around the nation. I started doing 50, 60, 70, 80 flights a year ministering, became a full-time evangelist. The ministry exploded from that moment. Could it be that God was using a situation of betrayal to promote me? Could it be like Joseph? How are you going to get from your dreams to the palace? But you couldn't get there without brothers that were willing to betray you. Those closest to you that would trust you, that would take your colored coat and throw you in a pit, that would sell you into slavery, that would put you in a prison, that would get you to the place where you had a voice to the palace because of the betrayal that was in your life. I know it doesn't feel like it because you're hurting. But if you can stay in his presence... While you're hurting, you will have a testimony like Joseph who says what the enemy meant for evil. I've watched God turn it for good in my life. Jesus knows what it's like to experience racial divides. He knows what it's like to experience betrayal. And Jesus knows what it's like to experience abuse. Some of you 